0: and welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, Life Coach Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you get unstuck, feel better, and be more confident at 30. I'm really excited and honored to announce a very special guest on the podcast today. I'm recording with award-winning author, Alexandra Potter, all about turning 30 and being a fuck-up. Alexandra is 50 years old, originally from Yorkshire in England and currently based in London. She began her career in magazines, freelancing for Vogue, Elle, Cleo and Company, to name but a few. Her first novel was published one week before her 30th birthday, and since then she has written 11 novels. As a best-selling author, her books have been translated into over 25 languages. Her most recent book, Confessions of a 40-something Fuck-Up, really struck a chord with me and I'm so excited to invite her onto the podcast to talk all about what it means to feel like a fuck up. Hi Alexandra and welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me and accepting my very public invitation.
1: (laughs) No I'm delighted, thank you, it's great to be here.
0: Amazing so just for everyone listening to know I actually binge read Alexandra's latest novel which we're going to really talk about in the podcast episode which is called Confessions of a 40 something fuck up and I binge read it a few weeks ago and just absolutely fell in love with it and straight away went onto my Instagram stories as I always do when I, when I read a good book and declared my love for the book and just called you all to read it and as I was writing the post I thought let me just see if Alexandra's on Instagram so I just found you and I was like wow she is so I tagged you in it and said please come on the podcast to talk about all of the topics of the book because they're so relevant to my story and my coaching and my audience so Alexandra really politely obliged and the
1: thing isn't it about Instagram people criticize it a lot but the great thing is how you can connect with people
0: Completely. I've honestly, I've made friends all over the world just from Instagram. It gets really bad reputation. But if you look at the positive side, then you can meet so many great people. And it's why we're here today. So that's amazing. So I want to really dive into the book. But before we do that, I really want to hear about you and your life. And I looked you up, obviously. And I was really intrigued to read that you had your own turning 30 journey because you actually became a published author as you were turning 30. So please can you tell me all about that and what turning 30 was like for you?
1: So I always wanted to be a writer. And um, I did English at uni and then I left university and moved to London and got a job working on a puzzle magazine, of all things. But I just wanted to get into publishing and it was the only way in I could find. And then from there, I started approaching magazines and writing freelance articles. And then I, I was feeling really frustrated around the ages of like 27, 28 I wasn't climbing the ladder that I wanted to climb. I was going for interviews. I wasn't getting the jobs for features editor or features writer. And so I quit my job and went to Australia. I got a working visa for a year and I went traveling in Thailand and then I ended up in Australia. And Australia was fantastic because it gave me opportunities that I didn't have in England. So I got a job working at Vogue, which would never have happened in London. And I loved Australia. And so I stayed in Australia for up until my visa ended. And then I came back to London and I carried on freelancing. So I'm probably like 28, 29 at that point. And I just, I was feeling disillusioned. I didn't want to get on the tube every day. I, I was just at that weird place that you are where you're not quite sure where you want to be. I would got engaged, but as soon as I got engaged, everybody just said, oh, you're going to have kids. And that just was not on my radar then. I, I had so much more I wanted to do. So I re- I was freelancing at a, um, a magazine and I was actually sub-editing an article about six writers under 30 that had written their first novel. And I thought, okay, I'm going to read their tips and advice and I'm going to have a go. So I read their tips and advice and I had a go and I did it in my spare time. I used to do it in my lunch breaks. So I remember I was freelancing at L and I used to come in and a little bit early and set my laptop. And once I'd written, they suggested three chapters, I sent them off to some agents and I got an agent. So I went in and saw so it met my agent and they were um, like, okay, go away and write the rest of the book. And so I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to do this when I'm freelancing. So I had a little car and I sold it and I got about five grand or something, which gave me enough to live off for six months. And so for six months, I wrote the book And then I handed the book in, and then my agent said few publishers are interested, and there was a bidding war. I mean, it was just kind of a whirlwind. And then I sold it at auction, and then it came out, I think, like two weeks before I turned 30. So it was this amazing thing that happened, and then that just... You know, that just took off me in a completely different direction then. So for the last 20 years, I've been a novelist.
0: Wow. I absolutely love that story. And I love how you just took the risk. You just completely said, fuck it. I'm just going to do it and see what happens.
1: Looking back, I think I was probably really naive. I think if I had researched it more, it would have put me off. But I didn't. And I was just like, I'm going to go for it. You know, why not? And I think because I did that... And I also remember people sort of saying, well, you've not, you know, you haven't written before or you've not done a creative writing class or, and I just didn't let that hold me back. And to anybody I ever meet now that says, you know, I've always got an idea for a book. I'm always like, well, do it because I did it. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but if you're determined enough,
0: you can do it. Yeah, such a good message. I think so many people want to, whether it's write a novel or to start a side hustle, start a business. They just think, oh, I can't do it. Other people can, but it's like the unicorn complex. I can't do it, I don't have it, but you can, why not? It's such a great example of that. That's amazing. And I know that you spent then a lot of your time after that traveling a lot. So you live between London and LA, is that right?
1: So when I was, so I'd been writing about three or four years and the guy I was engaged to, we broke up. So I was about 33, 32, 33 at that age and uh, my sister lives in LA, and so I went on holiday to LA, and I ended up staying there, because I just wanted a complete change of scene, and I ended up staying in LA, and I was there about, I was there until I was about 40, I was there about seven years, and I loved being in LA, and I thought, I think America, the more I look at, look back at my time there, was brilliant for me, because they're so positive, and they are... Every project that you want to do, people are really enthusiastic and they're very positive and they're very open to ideas, which I find in England, it's not as people can be a lot more negative. So I found that really freeing and I, I kind of met lots of friends that were very creative and they were doing all kinds of interesting things. So that was a really good time for me. And then for quite a number of years after that, I then went backwards and forwards between the UK and London, LA and the UK. I used to spend winters there a lot but for the last few years we haven't my husband's American we haven't been we got a dog so it makes traveling a bit more difficult but I do spend a lot of time there and I think it's really great I mean travel I'm a huge supporter of travel I think it's the best thing you can do traveling and meeting new people because it just opens your world and opens your mind to all this other stuff you can do.
0: Yeah. And I just love that part of your story, how you went through, obviously, a very big breakup, right? Where You were were engaged. You were 32, 33, and then you moved.
1: All my friends were settling down at their age. They were getting engaged, getting married, having kids. I just wanted, what do they call it, doing a geographical? I just wanted to do something different.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason that I personally resonated so much with your book, and a lot of my podcast listeners and people who follow me on Instagram know this, is because I turned 33 nearly almost a year ago, and went through a very big breakup. So really resonated with Nell, who's the main character in the book. And I think, you know, I turned 33, went through a breakup after four years, and, you know, thought my life was going to look one way, and then it looked completely different, and then went off on a trip. So I'm now, now, as I was telling you before the call, I'm now in Costa Rica. We can just move now to talk a little bit about the book. And I, I don't want to give spoilers for anyone listening, but you all should have gone and read the book anyway. So I'm just going to presume that you've all, you've all read it when you're listening to this. Um, that now the main character is after a breakup and she's just newly moved back to London after coming back from L.A., which is obviously linked to your, your personal experience and there's one aspect of the book which I just absolutely fell in love with and it was that when she was at her lowest low and she you know didn't have a place to live and she doesn't have a job and she's back in a new place and all her friends are settled down with kids and living their lives she just always says how the one thing that she has is her sense of humor that that's the you know such an important message in the book and the book's hilariously funny right laugh out loud amazingly funny and it just really hit home for me because nearly one year ago I have to find a new apartment just broken up lost a whole group of friends the same week that I lost my full-time job and I was now and I literally remember at some points being like well at least I have my sense of humor. I think it's so important
1: (laughs) I mean the laughing in the face of it all I mean that's the epigraph at the beginning of the book because it's that has got me through so much.
0: Yeah so absolutely love that and how much of the book is based on your personal experience of being in your 40s, moving back to London? You know, how much is Nell's character based on your experience?
1: It's fiction. And so obviously, things happen in the book that didn't happen in real life. But the feelings are very much the same. And I definitely had a feeling of everybody has an idea of what they think their life will look like. And they have a sort of plan And I definitely felt the pressure in my 30s, definitely coming up to late 30s, to tick all the boxes and reach all those goals. And so, you know, you were married, you had children, you had a nice home, you had a great career, you looked good, you, you know, you ate well, you had the yoga But you know, there's a huge range of things you're supposed to have. And I didn't tick those boxes. I might have ticked a few of them, I didn't tick all of them. And then I've definitely had the feeling, like you say, where everything kind of falls apart. So I know how that feels. And to have to try and start over. And also to kind of embrace a life that doesn't look anything like the life you thought you were going to lead. And actually, I've found that what can seem like a disaster is sometimes the biggest stroke of luck. Because from everything going wrong... You know, your life changes direction. And then suddenly, you know, you might meet people, stuff happens, opportunities arise. And so I definitely had all those feelings. And the more I spoke to my friends and people I knew, they were all having those feelings too. Even though on paper, they looked like they were leading the perfect life. So I've got friends that are married and they live in beautiful houses and they've got lovely children. But there's some aspect of their life that they feel like they're failing in. And everybody had those feelings. And I just think that especially with Instagram and they're showing, you know, Instagram shiny, perfect lives. And I was like, you know, behind that, everybody is just winging it. Nobody really knows what they're doing. And we're all just, you know, we're all just trying to get through. And I wanted to put that in a book because I just felt that, and I've had so many messages from people saying, oh my God, I really relate. I feel just like now. And it can be, I've had messages from people in their 20s a woman in her 60s, people that have, you know, have got little children, people that never had kids. So
0: many people. So yeah, no, it's been it's it's been amazing how many people relate to that book. Yeah, that's what also was my next question I was going to ask you is what's been the reception of the book? Because obviously I've been following you on Instagram and I've seen you sharing so many people sharing the book and saying wow, you know, this resonates so much. Exactly for the reason you said, you know, the book's called A 40-something Fuck Up, But I think just like you said, everyone, no matter what age you are, kind of everyone has imposter syndrome of life. Everyone on some level thinks they're doing it wrong. So have you had an amazing response from, from people?
1: It's an amazing response. And I, and I kind of made that really clear that no one is a fuck up. You know, and I think some people could misinterpret the title, but no one's a fuck up. That's the whole point. Society can make, make you feel like you're failing in some area of your life, but you're not because that's just life, you know, and, and that's, it's just normal. And, and I think that the women that I think are fantastic are the women that have had shit happen to them. It's like the Elizabeth Gilbert quote that I put in the beginning of the book. It's, it's women that are my superheroes and women that have gone through stuff, they've had shit happen, and they've got through it, and they've got through it a million different ways. And so I've had so many responses from people saying exactly that. And not just women. You know, I've had guys, you know, and I've had, it's translated into 10 languages. So I've had people from all over the world, you know, people in South Africa, Romania, Turkey, Greece, France, Germany, all saying the same thing. But all on the outside, we all look, I mean, I use an analogy of being like a duck and we all look like we're floating on the surface, but underneath everybody's legs are, you know,
0: going like crazy. The the part of the book where I can't remember her name, the character of Annabelle. And so I loved that the exploration of her character and what she represented in the book because she was perfect. So on the outside, everything, she just was preened, impeccable, everything about her just seemed so put together. And obviously, we find out later on in the book that just like we said, everyone is going through something and everybody is, you know, paddling in the water trying to keep afloat and I think that was just a really interesting and I loved that message and I have to say I didn't know that message was going to come at the end of the book I didn't know the message was going to come that all of the friends were struggling to or the ones that looked like they you know from the outside had ticked all the boxes because I think there's a lot of literature based in London you know the fiction books are kind of similar like this and they actually missed that part. And, and for me, that was a really important message because I'm from a group of friends back, back home, I, my friend's from Manchester, and I look at them all and their lives and how they live, and you sometimes forget. You sometimes forget that just because they reached the milestones that I haven't yet or some of my other peers haven't yet, that you think that they're just living these perfect lives. But I guess just like you said, no one's really living a perfect life.
1: Well, I mean, I think if anything can illustrate that it was the recent Megan and Harry video where you think they're living a perfect life and it's quite evident that you really you know you might have all the privilege and all the money and all the glossy fantastic stuff but on the inside it's just not like that at all
0: yeah and there needs to be more people speaking out about that but people are ashamed I think that people are sometimes nervous of how it will look and how it will come across If they do get vulnerable, and this is a very British thing as well. I don't know if you'll agree with me here.
1: People think that by admitting vulnerability, you're admitting weakness. Yes. But the thing that I have found, actually, is that when you're vulnerable, that's how you connect with people. So if you go to a party and you meet someone and it's all sort of very surface chatter and, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, brilliant, lovely things like holidays hi, nice to meet you. But you meet someone and they kind of show their vulnerability and they're like, oh my God, and you have a real chat. You really connect with someone then. And so I think that by being vulnerable, it's actually a, it's a really brave thing to do. And it's actually a really strong thing to do. It's the opposite of weak.
0: Yeah, exactly. And vulnerability, just like you said, is the basis of human connection. And I think in what I understand from living in the UK most of my life and when I go back is that there is a taboo about talking about what happens behind closed doors and this is reflected in just how people talk about for example getting a therapist or getting some professional help because I know you'll know from living in LA and I know from living in Tel Aviv everyone has a therapist and you just speak about it you know my, my therapist says this my therapist says that but in the UK there's definitely a lot more about you know keeping up appearances
1: I think it's got Um, a bit better, you know, I think there's been an awful lot of mental health awareness in the last few years, and things have definitely, definitely changed, and people are a lot more open to talking about it, you know, there's writers like Matt Haig, he talks about it a lot, Uh, somebody like Bryony Gordon, she'll talk about it, so there are people talking, Fern Cotton, they'll talk about it more, so I think it's definitely getting better, but it's still got a long way to go, and I think... For example, living in California, when I went there, it was just such an eye opener that people talked about that stuff. Because, you know, the life that I'd always led, you don't talk about it, you go to the pub, you have a few drinks, and that's
0: your therapy. Yeah, it's the keep calm and carry on culture that we live in. Um, Exactly. And actually, I wanted to ask, you know, the timing of the book has been amazing, this book's uh, release, because obviously, because of COVID and lockdown, so many people in the past year have been struggling with. Loneliness and the concept of living alone and being alone and being confronted with all of these things. And it's very similar to Nell in the book that, you know, I think loneliness is a theme in the book and that feeling of having to get through things by yourself. Was that kind of just a timing thing and you'd already planned the book before?
1: It was the book was written in 2018, 2018, 19, and it was scheduled to be released April 2020. Yeah. But it was delayed because of COVID, because of everything, you know, locked down in April. So we pushed it to New Year's Eve, actually, which was kind of good timing for the book because it's written in a diary form and it starts the 1st of January. And we were thinking we would be out of lockdown by then. And obviously, it just, it turned around that we just plunged back into a second lockdown. So everything shut down again. So no, that wasn't intentional at all. I mean, we had an eight-month an eight-month delay, but actually, and I was worried at the time that things were going to have altered so much that the book wouldn't be relevant. But actually, it couldn't be more relevant when it came out. You know, exactly. because because, like you say, loneliness is a theme, and and loneliness has has been, you know, it's a pandemic. It's the isolation, and the loneliness is, you know, it's a real problem right now, and you know, it's doing more damage. I think, you know, I realise we have to lock down for a virus, but. I think long term, it's going to do, you know, a lot of damage, this everybody not seeing anybody or just having to stay
0: at home. I completely agree with you. And I've had amazing interest in coaching this year because of that, because people are all of a sudden really lonely and also now looking to start new things and, you know, make new friends. And I know from understanding what you were just saying that it was the opposite it wasn't on purpose that it was released in the middle of a lockdown but for me it was just the perfect timing for the book because I think so many people will resonate with the messages in it and there was another message in it that I loved I mean I loved all the messages but the the message of feeling your feelings and there were some key moments in there that really resonated very very deeply with me and I think a lot of those messages as well came from the character of Cricket. So yes
1: who's the older for anyone that's not read it Nell is in her early 40s and she moves back to London and she gets a job writing obituaries and so she writes the obituary of a playwright and she gets to meet his widow who's a woman called Cricket who's in her early 80s and Cricket has never had children and her life hasn't gone to plan either and Like she says, most of my friends are dying off at this age. So, you know, she's lonely too. So together they form this really unlikely friendship. And they help each other through, you know, the path to their new lives. And, you know, cricket... I wanted to write an older character who is full of life. Because I know lots of women that are older who feel invisible. And actually, you know, they have so much to tell you. And they're so enthusiastic about life. And they're just not portrayed like that in the media. And so it's really important for me to put a character like Cricket in the book. And I think that her and Nell... You know, some of the stuff that cricket tells now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I write the list of things I've learned from cricket.
0: That's what I just wanted. That's why I was linking the point about the, you know, being able to feel your feelings and be in touch with who you are. So many of those important messages came through via their friendship and via cricket's character. And there's one part of the book where you've written a list of cricket's life advice, basically. And I think I actually took a photo. Well,
1: a few people have said to me that they want to frame it and put it on the wall.
0: Yeah, because it's really profound. And it's amazing. What inspired the character for the book? Is it somebody you've met before, or is it, is it completely fictional?
1: Do you know what? I think there's crickets everywhere. I think we just need to look. And unfortunately, that you know, as a woman, this society—well, actually, older people in general, but definitely women—it's a very ageist society. And you know, the older you get, people feel invisible, and they become yeah. invisible. And so I—and I know lots of women that are older. You know, my mum's eighty-one. And my mum's fantastic, you know, and so are her friends. And so I really wanted to celebrate women that are older and put somebody in the book of that age because I think society wants to make women feel scared of getting older. And it really annoys me. It's, you know, the creams you put on your face are anti-aging. There is this fear-mongering about being older. And most of your life you will spend being older, you know, I mean let's it's, you know, let's hope that we live to be eighty or ninety, but you're gonna yeah. spend an awful lot of your life in that older section. And it's, it's not a dead end. I mean it's quite the opposite. I mean I'm you know, I'm turned fifty last year and you know, I'll tell you now it's really kinda liberating. I mean, I'm much happier now at fifty than I ever was at thirty.
0: But nobody mm. tells you that. Nobody's speaking out about it. Honestly I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you because for all of my 20s for example it would be the dread of the birthday year on year and oh the approach to 30 was like the biggest deal ever and you're right it comes from societal conditioning that being an older woman or aging in general is something negative and it just doesn't have to be and I literally just wrote a piece about this yesterday about one of the biggest things I've learned in the past couple of years and it has been a shift because I hold my hands up and I admit I was the person that was like no not another year of course we are because we are conditioned to think like that yeah completely and something's happened in the past year that I I realized I heard it somewhere on a podcast saying that you know middle age is the most beautiful thing ever because you'll never be as emotionally intelligent or self-aware or in touch with yourself as you are, as you each year get wiser and experience more in life. And it just something dawned on me and it clicked. And I was like, yes, that's amazing. That's such a good message to be saying out loud to all these Young women who are in their late twenties, early thirties, who are freaking out. I've built a business on people who are turning thirty crisis. So I'm so happy that you just said that.
1: No, I mean, I would say to anyone turning thirty, honestly, it's you know, it's great. I mean, every year you get older. Okay, you have the physical aspect. Nobody wants to get wrinkles and lines, and but like I say, Cricket says, you know, cellulite and wrinkles don't kill you. You know, and there's so many more advantages to getting older. You. You get braver, I think. You just don't give a fuck as much. You don't sweat the small stuff. You yeah. you do get your priorities right. You do realise what you're into and what you're not into. You you say no to things that you don't want to do. You don't feel like you've got to say yes. There's so many positives to getting older.
0: And And for you, what would you say the difference has been between... turning 30, turning 40 and turning 50? Is it this just understanding yourself more? And and like you said... I definitely think I used to be very worried about
1: what people thought. And I honestly don't care now. And that is so incredibly liberating. I just can't tell you. I used to be really bothered about... I mean, I would never leave the house without putting makeup on, for example. Now I really couldn't care less. I used to be sort of worried about failing, trying things and failing... And that stopped me doing stuff. I didn't like, I was quite risk averse because it's a lot of the not wanting to fail. I used to definitely sort of around, I mean, I've, I've done stuff and I've taken risks, but it took an awful lot of effort. And I was always, I think one of the biggest things, I was always trying to achieve uncertainty in an uncertain world. And now I'm older, I realize that you're never going to achieve that. And that's okay. And like I say in the book, it's okay not to know the answers. So it's okay to say I don't know. And actually yeah. that's really liberating to say I don't know. You know, so what so okay, so you try and you fail. Okay, fine. Whereas I was, you know, when I was younger, that was a really big deal to me. And you know, if I could tell my younger self, it's really not a big deal. It's really not. And and the most important things are your health, your family, your friends, your mental health more than anything. And also, I think ambition is a really healthy thing to have. And I'm very ambitious. But if you do fail at stuff, or you don't reach wherever you want to reach, you've got plenty of time, time's not running out, you know, fingers crossed, we've got quite a long time to do stuff.
0: Yeah. Would, Would you say that, as you know, you go through your 30s and your 40s, that the pressures to live a certain way increase, or decrease?
1: They increase. I definitely think they increase. I definitely think for a woman, because... I definitely felt that you were supposed to fit everything in by the time you were 40. Whereas yep. for men, you know, you get men having kids in their 50s. Look at George Clooney, you know, of Rolling Stones. They're having kids in their 70s. But for yep. a woman, I felt like they want you to wrap it all up. So you finish university at 21. So what, you've got 19 years to get a brilliant career going, to get to find the guy, to get married you know, or not get married, but, you know, to to buy a home, get a home, and to have children. That's just not long enough. It's just not long enough.
0: So the pressure is intense. Well, some some people want to do all of those things by 30. And this is what I find, is that when people don't own a home, haven't, I wouldn't say have kids. I think now the pressure to have kids is more mid-30s, you know, to, to late 30s. But just the pressure to meet somebody. I think that's what it is. It's the pressure to financially be uh stable to have met a partner
1: well I mean I got married at 44 so to anybody out there that's panicking about meeting someone and I I had lots you know I was with a guy for seven years I was with another guy for seven years or with someone else so you know I'm just saying
0: don't panic you know there's plenty of time to meet someone Thank you so much for sharing that. Did you panic at the time? Yes. Yes, that's what I'm curious to know. Because, you know, just to to be vulnerable, I'm 33 and I'm kind of like, oh, does that mean I have to meet someone in the next two years? Do I have to? I was
1: 33 and I split with my, the guy I was supposed to marry. And that's when I moved to the States and I definitely felt panicked. Yeah, I did. I've definitely felt, God, you know, I'm 33 now. And now I'm older. You're really young at 33. You've really got so much time.
0: Yeah, and I love your story that even though obviously you said you felt panicked, that didn't stop you. It didn't stop you from getting on that plane and going to LA and starting again.
1: Because even though I will feel scared, you know, I'm the first to hold my hand up. I will be terrified, but I will do it anyway. You know, so I've been really scared of making certain decisions, but I have still done them.
0: I think that people think that... If you make a big decision, such as to just get up and move country or go traveling or just break up with somebody, people don't do it because they have some sort of expectation that there won't be fear. They think, oh, I'll just wait until it doesn't feel so daunting or intimidating or, or terrifying. But the truth is, is that it's always going to feel scary.
1: I would tell anybody never to wait. There is never the right time. You know, there is never that time where, where you're going to feel ready, when you're not going to feel scared. So all you're going to do is put off, waste time. So you might as well just do it now. There's a saying, isn't there, leap and the net will appear. And it does. It does appear in some form or other. I mean, you might do it and be like, oh, my God, what have I done? And you'll go through a, few, a period. But you know what? Some, another door will open and you'll walk through it and you'll find something else.
0: You know, there are many yeah. different ways to lead a life. Yeah, I love that. And I love it in the book how you showed that through the different characters. I wanted to just lead on to talking about friendship because I think it's something I don't speak enough about in my content, in my podcast, and I've wanted to talk a lot about friendship for a while and I haven't really found the platform for it. But thinking about the book and thinking about Nell and the loneliness aspect that she just moved back in, uh, to London and she has friends. So she does have friends, but she feels different to them and she has a cricket who she has an amazing friendship with like you said an unlikely friendship and she has another friend who's still back in LA and they have video calls and you hear about you know them catching up but do you think that it's possible to keep up friendships throughout you know 30s 40s and beyond with your original group of friends you know your home group of friends who are living completely different realities
1: I think it's possible to keep friendships, yes, but maybe not with all of them. And I think friendships go through different phases. So I've got friends that I've had since I was at school, that I've known since I was seven and eight years old, for example. And there's been periods of my life where we really haven't kept in touch. You know, and our our lives have gone on completely different paths. And, we, you know, there might be some years go by and we don't really see each other. And then we reconnect again. You know, either I'll get in touch with them or I might see them if I go home. And it was the same with a lot of my friends when I moved to America. And I used to, you know, email them and we'd keep in touch. But, you know, they, we grew apart a bit. And some of those friends, the friendship just kind of fizzled out, even though I'd known them for years and years because we changed too much. But some of them, they're still my friends. And, you know, I came back to England and we reconnected. And it's the same when if people have children you know, they're, they're all into their babies and you might not be at that stage and you grow apart for a bit and then you can come back together again. But I also think that there is room for new friendships. And just because you've known someone a long time doesn't mean that they're a better friend than that person you met two months ago. Because you that person you met two months ago might You know, because your priorities change as you get older and you get to know yourself better and you might meet somebody and you might completely connect and you might be much closer to them than your old friends. And I think friendships, you know, you can definitely, for me, as as I've gone through my life, you don't make as many friends as you used to when you were at university or something, but you can definitely make new friends as you move along in your life. And I have done. Um, And I've got some brilliant friends that I... You know, I, I met someone last year and she's a really good friend now. So, you know, I, I definitely think you have to be open to that. And you don't need that many friends because you've got to invest in a friendship, haven't you? And you've got to spend time with, uh, with a friend. And I think that, you know, a, a sort of handful of really fantastic friends are worth way more than, like I
0: say, Nell's got 157 Facebook friends and she's still lonely. Yeah, People have, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of friends and followers. But they're not real friends. Yeah, completely, wow. I 100% relate to that. And I think it's about expectation. So I think that what happens is when you, in your teenagers and your 20s, you are expected to have lots of different friends and it's really easy, everyone's doing the same thing. And then at some point in like late 20s, some people start settling down and some people travel and some people, you know, everyone's doing something different. And somewhere along the line somebody has taught us or society has taught us that our home friends you know our original core school friends or university friends or wherever we classify our you know our closest group should be our friends forever and we have this expectation that because they should be our friends forever when they do start having babies and actually I think what happens is what I see the pattern that I see is that it, it happens like dominoes you know like one person does something whether it's getting engaged or you know have a baby and everyone does it the same and there's usually one or two people in the friendship group who are doing something different and just living their own path and there's this expectation that we all need to remain really close and when you miss that expectation it feels like you've failed at friendship and just like you said you've not failed it's just the reality of having friends is that it chops and changes over time and it's dynamic.
1: Yeah no I definitely think we all change don't we everybody as we grow up and we kind of our interests sort of you know we're all different and so people take different paths and our and our priorities change and our interests grow you can keep some of them but I don't think you can keep that same core of friends not everybody anyway yeah. but because then you need to make room in your life to make other friends I mean I met a friend when I first moved to LA so I was 33 and she is one of my closest friends now she still lives in America and she you know, we're so close and I, I met her when I was there and we just connected. You know, we're so similar. And then there's been friends that I've met like last year and stuff. And, and there'll just be someone that I will have met like in a random situation. And you just click with that person. I think you've got to keep open to that because I I, th- I think a lot of people, like you were saying, think that you're supposed to have made your friends, you know, 20 years ago and then keep
0: them forever. Yeah. I see that completely and I see people exactly, I was just about to say the next point was you have to keep your head up and ready and open to meet new people. And sometimes that actually does take a shift in environment or a shift in energy or doing something different. You know, putting yourself out there, whether it sounds cheesy, but joining some sort of running group or taking on a hobby or going on a trip. And for me, that was also coming here to Costa Rica is that I've made two friends who I know will be Lifelong friends, I'm sure, from completely different parts of the world. And it's been so refreshing. Why? Because the connection that we have is based on where we are in our lives. We're all doing similar things. We're all single. If you start
1: to lead a bit of a different life and you take a bit of a different path to most of your friends, then you will start to feel a bit alienated. And it's absolutely nobody's fault, but you're just leading a bit of a different life. And so the people that you meet along that slightly different path will have more you'll have more in common with those people than your friends at home. And th- and that's just that's just normal, isn't it?
0: That's just life and it's just important to remember that those keeping those people around you does keep you sane and it it's very very important. The last question I want to ask and I know that we've spoken about this the whole way through and you've given us so many pills of wisdom. But if you can give for our listeners kind of any final tips or any just final words about what to do or you know the lessons that you've learned about feeling like a fuck up I guess at any age
1: I think it's normal I think it's absolutely normal to have those feelings and I think that if you're trying to do things in life and you're trying to take risks and you're trying to do new things and you're trying to be brave you're always going to feel like a bit of a fuck up because you're going to do things and you're going to fail at them and I think that also there is so many different ways to lead a life. You don't have to follow the prescribed path that society wants you to go down. And so if you haven't ticked those boxes and you haven't achieved those goals that you were conditioned to think that you are supposed to achieve by our families and our parents and and the world around us, if you haven't achieved those things, you're not a fuck up, you're normal. And everybody feels like this. And even, and you'd be surprised because even your friends or people that you might not know that appear on the outside have these glossy, shiny lives that they've they've got it all right, they've done everything. Guaranteed, they will have very similar feelings because they'll be winging it too. They'll have things that they are unhappy with or they think they failed at or they're insecure about because everybody feels like that. And the, and the people that I've
0: spoken to since I've done this book have, have just underlined that even more. I think you've just uncovered such a pain point for everyone. And that's why it's, you know, there's such a hype about it. Because just like you said, everyone feels this way. And so, stop beating
1: yourself up. Yeah. You're fab. You know, you're fantastic. Whatever you're doing, however you are. I think society wants us to beat ourselves up.
0: Yeah, and it's just kind of stop wasting that emotional energy, thinking what you've done wrong, and just channel that energy into doing whatever you want to do next. That's such an important message.
1: And keep hold of your sense of humour. The main point. Yeah. Which is a really good point. And then she does little gratitude lists, which I think are, you know, kind of handy to do, which, you know, they weren't very worthy, earnest ones. They were just kind of funny just because, you know, when everything feels like it's gone wrong that day, you can always find a couple of things you're grateful for.
0: Yeah, I love that practical tip.
1: And anybody can do it. And to find your tribe, which was what I put in the beginning. Find your tribe. Find the people that feel like you. If you're feeling that nobody knows how you feel, you know, join clubs online, go on forums, you know, connect with people. Instagram was a brilliant way for me to connect with people. And find like-minded people. And then you don't feel alone.
0: Thank you so so much, Alexandra. It's honestly it's been amazing to pick your brain and learn more about you and the book and your journey. I know that all of my audience are going to resonate with so many of the pills of wisdom you've shared with us today. So really, for anybody who hasn't read the book, I really really recommend going to read it. And thank you again for coming on and sharing your story. And lastly. How can our listeners find you if they want to know more about you um, and where can they buy your book?
1: Okay, well, thank you so much for having me on today. It was so, so much fun to talk to you about all this stuff. And the book is called Confessions of a 40-something Fuck-Up. You can get it on Amazon or any of the good online, it's actually in bookshops, but I'm not sure bookshops are open right now. Um, you can download it on iTunes, um, Apple, being read by the wonderful actress, Sally Phillips, who was in uh, Bridget Jones, I love her. And you can find me on um, Instagram, Alexandra Potter. I've got a website, alexandrapotter.com, Facebook, but I'm mostly on Instagram that's how I like to communicate with everybody it's such a friendly space I think for all the flack that it gets I really I really like being on Instagram
0: me too that's where my community is as well and I'm so happy that Instagram brought us together yeah me too amazing thank you so much Alexandra and I'll see everyone on the podcast next week